0: Hi there, welcome to episode 32 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I'm delighted that you're spending time with me and my mystery guest on The Playground today. Before we get into our career chat, I invite you to connect with me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001. Today's episode is a powerful one. It's a career chat about fitting in, finding your place in the world, and having those uncomfortable conversations we need to have. Our conversation touches on systemic racism, feminism, and parenting, among other topics. Today's amazing mystery guest will inspire you to learn more about what diversity, equity, and inclusion really mean. I am so happy to welcome the lovely Daphne Laguerre. Welcome, Daphne Laguerre. Daphne, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Tanya. Human Soul, DEI Advocate, CHRP slash CRHA, Certified Work-Life Strategist. Also, Les Consultations, Afro Queen Consulting, Making Diversity, Inclusion, and Wellness a Reality in the Workplace. Réaliser la diversité, l'inclusion et le mieux-être en milieu de travail. I'm very excited. So, I've got questions, and the listener knows that we kind of were talking about purpose, plan, and pivoting. And we've known each other for a few years now. You're a mentor with the Federal Internship for Newcomers Program at OCISO. That's how we met. I think you're an incredible person, an incredible human soul. And to be able to have this conversation with you, I think is going to be enlightening, inspiring, motivating, and exciting. So first question, where did you grow up? Next question, what was high school like for you?
1: Okay, thank you for this question, uh, Tanya. Um, So essentially, I grew up, in Gatineau, but before it became like the bigger city of Gatineau about uh, 1 and 20 years ago. So in the late 70s, I grew up in the um, sector called Hull. Mm-hmm. Um So it's just right by uh, the bridge. And yeah, so that's where I, I grew up. So my parents uh, initially um, immigrated from um, Haiti Uh, In the Caribbean, and uh, I was born in Montreal, but uh, my parents did not want to stay uh, Mm -hmm. too long in Montreal, so they decided to um, establish uh, themselves um, in Hall. So that's where I grew up. And in terms of what high school was for me, it was a horrible experience, to be honest. And of course, it, it shaped me into the person that I am today, but it was a brutal experience because I never felt that I belong, that I fit in. And at the time, there was not a whole lot of diversity as well. So I found myself like making friends mostly with kids who were either immigrants or Canadian born like me, but from immigrant parents. But uh, a lot of time, I would find myself being alone feeling lonely, low self-esteem, and always wondering uh, why people didn't like me. So, yeah, that that was uh, my high school experience in a nutshell.
0: Hmm. Well, first of all, I also was in Hull. I went to Philemon Wright. I'm assuming you went to uh, Polyvalent.
1: Yes, I did. And by the time, yes, I was um, living in the Gatineau sector. So I went to uh, Polyvalent Le Carrefour. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So that was like a big transition after, um, elementary school, a bigger school, but, uh, always feeling like, um, like an outcast.
0: Like you didn't fit in.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I understand that feeling of not, of not feeling like you fit in. Did it go away after high school?
1: It changed drastically and I was really not prepared for this. So My father did not want me to um, attend uh, CEGEP because logically this is where I I would have gone to school, like after um, finishing high school. Um, because he felt that uh Quebec uh Cégeps and University were too politicized and at any given moment it could go on strike and then it messes up your school year. Mm-hmm. So he encouraged me to um enroll into a um program at the La Cité Collegiale, so I'm enrolled in a journalism uh program, even though that was not necessarily my choice. It was really my father's choice. My father was essentially living his dream through through his Mm -hmm. daughter. So I did the program. But when I um, arrived at the school, it was a complete different uh, setting because there was a lot of international students. So I met a lot of students from all parts of the world, like from different countries, from um, uh, from Africa, for example, from the Caribbean as well. And then overnight, I became the girl that we noticed, the girl that we want to befriend, the girl that we want to go out with. And I was so young; I was I was underage still, so I had to be careful of uh, people trying to influence me to go to a bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. But all that to say that my experience was completely different. Like I, I went from feeling rejected like most of my adolescence uh, during high school to being the object of desire in college and also in
0: university. Wow. That is deserving of a wow, I have to say. <laughs> I think that is extremely cool. So you said it was dad's decision. It was dad's dream of the journalism. Yes. But if it was up to you what would you have taken? Uh, to be honest with you, I was, I've
1: always been confused because whenever um, family members or even at school when you had to do an like, um, assignment around what you want to do when you grow up or who you, you want to become when you grow up, I had no clue. The only thing that kind of always attracted me was psychology. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of my high school years, we were really like encouraged to kind of really think about it because towards the end of high school, we needed to make like a decision in terms of, okay, which college we're going to attend and which program. So when I mentioned to my, one of my classmates that I, I would like to um, consider psychology as a career she gave me that strange look, and then she said, "Well, did you know that most psychologists end up being crazy
0: themselves?" And I, and knew, that- that gonna I <laughs> yeah. knew that was going to be it. I knew that was going to be it. Yeah.
1: And then at the time, because I, I had like very, you know, low self esteem, and my parents, just like most immigrant parents, they want the best for their kids, so they want to make sure that their kids are secure, but they tend to have like a very narrow vision as to what a career could look like. So in their views, uh, a good career would, would have been like a career like as a politician, a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher. Uh, and then for my father, it was uh, journalism because this is something that he had aspired to be and it didn't pan out for him. So he really like pushed me. So a lot of the decisions that I made in my life were largely influenced by my father, especially when I was like a young adult, like being confused. But eventually when I had the opportunity after I finished a uh, university and after I had my kids, I decided to, to go back to school. And that's where I studied workplace psychology. And I, I really, really, really enjoyed that. And it kind of give me, it, it kind of opened a door for me. And then it, this is something that I'm potentially envisioning. For, for the future, because I, I, I don't think, I don't believe anyways that life is static and should be linear. Mm-hmm. So, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. I always say that life is like a messy ball of yarn, you know, where it's, <laughs> it it's, is. Just, it's, it's just a mess. And we've got to be okay with living in that mess. So it sounds like you've done some pivoting in your life. And I think you've done some pivoting even since, you know, we've known each other. You were in human resources, right?
1: Yes. Yes, I was.
0: With the I government?
1: Was. Yes, with the federal government. Yeah. I I had been working um, 22 years with the federal government and mostly in human resources before I made the decision to leave it all behind just because, again, it it, it was that that feeling of not fitting in as I was progressing in my career. I find that the higher you go, the more you have to conform. And this this goes against every fabric of my personality, my body, my values, my spirituality. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was actually on a verge um, of burning out again. And I'm like, I really need to turn my life around if I don't want to um, you know, end up frustrated and uh, feeling that I did all of that for nothing.
0: Yeah. So then what did you
1: do? Well, essentially, I I had like a big, like epiphany moment accompanied like with uh, some deep reflection. So before I left, I was um, leading an anti-racism program. Um, So there was like a big uh, initiative uh, at the federal level around diversity and inclusion, especially after the murder of George Floyd. And then there was also the tragic death of Joyce Eshaquan. And and, uh, there's also Mm -hmm. like other incidents that that came about. But I think George Floyd murder was a big catalyst and an eye opener for people to realize because here in Canada, we don't like to talk about racism. We would rather, we comfort ourselves thinking and believing that we are not as bad as the United States. Therefore, racism does not exist. When in fact, when you look at Canadian history, it is filled with policies that were adopted as part of the uh, constitution to keep uh, certain people from emancipating themselves so when i was leading uh, the anti racism program i became more and more aware of what systemic racism means even though there may be a willingness to to make more space for diversity there is an expectation that the diversity would conform to the establishment. And to me, diversity and conformity do- does not go together. So at that moment, I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm very invested in that in that work. I believe in diversity and inclusion. And I want to contribute to create a better country uh, for the future generation where my kids won't have to mm. go through the, the unnecessary racism and feeling that they, they're worth less than based on ridiculous ideologies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just said worthless. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways of saying it. You can say worthless, like just worth nothing, worthless. Mm-hmm. But when you said it, I heard and I felt worth less. Worth less, and I—I I think that that is so powerful, and that says so much because nobody should feel worth less than any other person in Canada or in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's there. That was very powerful to me, Daphne, because you're right—that systemic racism it exists. And it seems like Canada just wants to be politely saying there is no racism here. Mm -hmm. And that's simply not the case. And I think that you have to acknowledge it. Because a lot of organizations, it really is just performative. It's a question of ticking the box. Oh, you know, DEI, blah, blah, blah. But they don't really believe it. They don't really live it as a value. No, exactly.
1: And I I mean, I've I've had the privilege during that period to meet um extraordinary individual who were willing to have the reflection but as an organization yes it it felt a lot um performative because for me diversity and inclusion it's it's about the people first it's about humanity so it's not something for which you just create a program and we're going to send people on training and 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 then and then we're gonna hire X amount of you know to to tick a box and and then that's it. It's not like that. You really have to review your mentality. But uh, however, all, uh, as much as it had felt performative, I do have to applaud and salute other organization mm-hmm. that I have the privilege uh, to work with, uh, who actually were willing to take my workshops and then accepting the way I deliver the workshop. Because when I deliver my workshop, I make it into a form of a conversation. It's not just me shoving knowledge out of, you know, Uh into people's mouth, because that's not how we're going to uh, solve the problem. because you you said it yourself, we need to be willing and ready to acknowledge, um, you know, that we actually live uh, in a society whose foundation was laid out on discrimination and racism. Mm -hmm. So having had the privilege to um, deliver my workshop and then having those profound discussion, at least my goal was to, I mean, I I don't pretend that I'm going to revolutionize the planet, but I want to do my part to raise that awareness. And then from raising that awareness, people can kind of start looking around them and looking at their, their own life. And I got testimony from people stating that, oh my God, I didn't realize how, because it's all—it's always, you know, the, the go-to excuse. Well, I have a lot of uh, uh, friends who comes from oh. around the world. Yeah. yeah, but do you know the reality? Do you actually have a deep conversation? Do you know that uh, your neighbor may be pulled over, have been pulled over 50 times, uh, you know, in any given year just because for 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 being Black? Like, are you aware of how much that weighs in um, yeah. mentally. And if you had like an employee who witnessed George Floyd murder and you did not reach out to that employee, just imagine how unsafe that person may have felt um, in the workplace because nobody is willing to acknowledge what happened. They don't want to talk about it. It's just like normal day for them. Yeah. But for yeah. people like us, it's not a normal day. We're always wondering, well, what is it going to be uh, tomorrow? What's next? And are my kids ever going to be safe? So all of that, I mean, when you come to work, you bring all of that with you, even if you try to tone it down so you can do your work, but it's affecting your overall mental health. So yes, we need to talk about it as uncomfortable as it is, and we need to be willing to look around us and and realize that, okay, systemic racism, how does it manifest like in the workplace? Uh, Does it mean that, um, I don't know, I have like highly highly educated personnel, but when it comes to diversity or, or em- employment equity groups, they're all at the bottom of the ladder, even though they're we're educated. Not. Why is it that we're not giving them a chance? Like what's stopping us? This is the, the conversation that we need to be having if we are serious and not performative. So this is the work that, that I'm doing. And uh, it really motivates me. And uh, so- sometimes it, it can be like draining um, after a workshop, but I always feel a high level of satisfaction when people participate and actually are willing to to kind of look at their own practices, look at their own personal prejudice that they actually learned during their childhood. And it's been like ingrained in them and they don't even think about it. It's becoming a second nature, actually.
0: Yeah. And you know what, there is something that I think now, I, I learned this from one of my colleagues. Who is black and Muslim? And so I said something that you know we were we were in this event or whatever, and I used the words I don't I don't see color, mm. and I was coming at this from I've lived all over the world. People are people. I don't I don't like I that's not anything for me, mm-hmm. and that's not what she said. What she said to me was life changing. She said, "You may not see color." But the rest of the world does. Yes. And when you say that you don't see color, you are taking away somebody's lived experience. Yeah. And that just, that struck with me. And I realized that growing up, uh, I'm 53. So, you know, Gen X, we learned you, you didn't say someone was black. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, You just didn't you just didn't mention it. But by doing that, what you've done is dismissed and neglected and ignored an identity that is critical for a person. And that honestly, Daphne, was one of the most life-changing conversations I've ever had in my life. And I think that if somebody is black, somebody's black. If somebody's Asian, somebody's Asian. It's who they are. It makes if somebody's a woman, if somebody's transgender. It's who they are. It it makes up the way they see the world and mm-hmm. the way the world sees them. Yeah. So why does. can't we have these conversations? Well, I think part of it is uh, the
1: guilt that it may generate, and it's okay. I think that this is like we have to acknowledge all the emotions. That comes with it. Um, And then it's normal to feel guilt. But at the same time, if we don't acknowledge it, because I'm looking at uh, the US, how Mm -hmm. they try to rewrite history in a way Mm -hmm. to, you know, not really acknowledge slavery to kind of tone it down and make it look like it wasn't that bad. All of that, because most you know, white American parents don't want their kids to be labeled as racist. I'm like, yeah. not not talking about it. You are actually reinforcing the next generation to continue perpetrate the the, the same systemic racism that that's been put in place for centuries. So, uh, yes, th- there might be some guilt, and it's okay to feel guilt. It's it's okay to feel shame. But if we are serious about wanting to rebuild, well, we need to put everything on the table. So we can rebuild uh-huh. uh, until we, are, we we are willing to acknowledge, we're not going to move forward. We, we, you can make up a bad situation as much as you want. You can put makeup color into it. It's still going to stink.
0: <laughs> so yes, yes. And do you think then that it's going to be up to the Gen Zs, like the people behind us that are going to be the ones to make that difference? Um, to a
1: certain extent, I think so, but I think it's, it's everybody's, everybody has to put some heart into this, yeah. um, yeah. because as parents, uh, we all are, you know, we do have a responsibility to educate, um, our kids. So it always starts with us individually, but also with us collectively, because one of the questions that I really enjoy asking during my workshop is, um, when did you learn racism like at, at what point did you learn racism in your during your childhood? And I know that sometimes you know that, that really get people thinking and they're like, ah, when did I learn racism during my childhood? And I was like, okay, I'll give you an example like me myself personally it took me a while because I be, be, before I became aware of what the indigenous people in Canada mm-hmm. and you know all over, the continent have been through but especially like in Canada because we we don't talk about it so Mm -hmm. I actually ended up taking a class uh yes during my university year so I I had the choice to take like an elliptical class and when I was looking at the list and then one was called um, indigenous people in in, of Canada Um, because one thing that always puzzled me was during history class in high school, we would talk about like, you know, the European who encountered like uh-huh. indigenous people, and then suddenly they completely disappeared. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, what happened to them? You know, and then I came across, um, you know, a few students who told me that they were living like on an Indian reserve. And I'm like, Indian reserve, what is that? So by taking that course, it kind of became like an eye opener. And that's when I first realized that, okay, we really tried to erase um, some people's history. And then up until, um, I would say almost 20 years ago, I had the privilege to work for the Department of uh, Indigenous Affairs. It -hmm. was called Indians Affairs at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I became aware of um, the residential schools. So I'm like, oh my God, there is so much we're not talk and thought about In our history classes. So when I asked the the question, when did you learn uh, racism? And some people would say, well, I remember my parents, you know, talking about certain group of people in a very poor and derogatory way. Or some people would say that they, um, they were living like near indigenous uh, communities. But they never set foot out there because it was dangerous. Or through the media, through the media, and even the way history is taught at school by denying people's own historical perspective. This is a way that we are propagating racism, whether we want to recognize it or not. So when I ask thought-provoking questions like this, it's really to make people thinking that we really have to change our ways, and even the way sometimes the media. I remember, like even like growing up, whenever um, there was um, gang violence-related like incidents here in Ottawa or in Gatineau. If it was perpetrated by a person of color, right away we would label Mm -hmm. you know certain groups a certain way. But if it's perpetrated like by the Hells Angels, for example, you're not seeing like the same level of fairness. There was always, in my perspective, my perception was, well, if you're black, you're gonna be treated like even more severely. And we see that in the justice system,
0: unfortunately as well. Yeah, absolutely. And in the justice police, obviously, there was, you said something that just, I should have been writing it down, Daphne, I should have been writing it. I was just listening, because I think that it. I I mean, you're so well spoken, everything you're saying is just so eloquent, and easy to understand and access. And I think that that must be so appreciated, too, in the workshops that you facilitate and deliver, that this is so full. And I didn't, I didn't know about anything Indigenous, and I went to school in in Hull as well, um, until 2020 when I did the the Kairos Blanket exercise Mm -hmm. through IRCC. Yep. And that, again, was life-changing to see and to, to truly be transported to another time where all of this was was happening and and how it happened and and you know i'm i'm back to to the states right now with the way that they're taking away the history and that's Mm -hmm. taking away people's lived experiences and so the people who had been enslaved was it was it for for nothing then if the people that are in positions of power now that are saying oh it it wasn't so bad Mm That's just heartbreaking. It is. See, you and I, we could talk about this forever. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got a, a really big career of everything. And it doesn't have to be just professional. What are you most proud of? Mm, what am I most proud of?
1: I would say my kids because, I mean, they, they are their young adult-ish. I see ish because I have a 19-year-old <laughs> and a 17-year-old. I'm proud of them because um, very early on when they were like very small kids, it's really nice to be able to observe them and let them be and respect their personal inclination. So this is something that I am the most proud of because, I mean, I'm proud of who they are, but I am also proud of having been able to identify very early on what they were good at and really like encourage them. To pursue that as opposed to derail them and transmit them so much of my fear that it would have paralyzed them. So this is one of the things that I'm the most proud of. And then also mm-hmm. the the way they carry themselves as young women. And I know they 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 have like a lifetime to discover who they are, but they they also do inspire me. Sometimes I I watch them and then I'm like, oh my God. I I find them like so brave um, in their own way. And especially in the world that we are evolving, it's really not easy, but just to, you know, take their own courage and live life the best possible way they can. And I, I, I tell them also, if you haven't figured out like what you want to do career wise, it's okay. Take your time. Life doesn't have to be A constant race and then telling them that I I burned out like a few times just because I tried to fit in and, and, uh, I, I listened to what society told me to do. And when in my forties, I decided. To make that shift and start living for myself and really finding who am I, who is Daphne when 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 she's not the mother, the wife, the professional, who is Daphne fundamentally? So the midlife crisis is there for that. It's really to break free and really find yourself because we forget ourselves as we just like go along with what society project what our life should be. So th- these are the things that I am most proud of. So any decision that I've made to really find my voice, find myself, and um, really follow follow my instinct, my intuition, these are the things I am the most proud of.
0: yeah. Um, so who is Daphne? Oh my God, Daphne,
1: Daphne, Daphne. Um, so that's why on my LinkedIn uh, profile, I put human soul because this is the part that we tend to forget as we get like so busy and so distracted with everything that society has to offer so i identify myself as as being like a, a soul operating in a body with an african mixed mm-hmm. with european heritage and my my most I, well my aspiration is really to contribute to create like a better world In the best possible way. So I'm I'm very intuitive. I'm nurturing um, also. So like the feminine side of me, I try to put that forward because when we are at work, we're even if, you know, as women, we really embody like the masculine side of ourselves. Mm-hmm. at the detriment of our feminine side, unfortunately. So I'm um, I'm really like embracing. So I'm in that journey of rediscovering who I am really and sharing that with people. So I'm a bit of an artist. I love to write. I love to uh, read also. And I'm very passionate about human history because I love to um, get in touch with people, understand where they're coming from and how they grew up. But I'm also fascinated by human history. And, and that this is something that that had a deep, profound impact on me because growing up, not fitting in because in a lot of situations, especially at school, I would find myself being the only Afro-Canadian child on a schoolyard. So you can just mm-hmm. imagine how tough that, that, that must have been and being called names that you can't even comprehend and not understanding why people are so hostile towards you. So history, understanding the history, the history of African people, but also acknowledging that African people do have a history, a rich history that mm-hmm. predates colonization. So history has helped me, uh, understand how, why and how people interact the way they do. And I, I, I love using history, for example, during my workshop as well to kind of create like a history line or a storyline so people understand while diversity and inclusion, it's not something nice and pretty that that we do just for the fun of it. There's a history behind it that kind of explain the state of of, of the society that it is today and all the turmoil and the friction. It doesn't. It didn't pop out out of nowhere. It come from some somewhere. So, in a nutshell, that that's who I am.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. And the listener who knows how much I, I go by the colors knows that you are just a very bright blue. And I I love that our blues we just connect. And it's this uh, I don't. What's the word like explosive. Like This is why we can talk about all of these things, because these are the important things in life. And when you want to make the world a better place, you you know you've got to do these things. This is These are the kind of conversations. But it's also exciting. It's this combination of history and psychology and humanity. And uh, I, I've got to get myself into one of your workshops, my dear, because <laughs> those sound really, really rich what's next for you? Oh,
1: that is a good question. Well, as I explained in the beginning, psychology is something that um, I'm very much interested into. So this is an avenue that I would definitely would like to to explore because um, I really can see how I can actually help people. And I feel that I'm at a stage in my life where I've done a lot of work and I I think just like any human being, we are always like a work in progress, but I think I've done a lot of work to actually find myself, find my voice, have a better sense of who I am. And I really want to work helping people finding themselves um, as well. So that would be uh, something. And I would also love to teach. So every now and then I I do get French um, teaching gigs so, yeah. because I, I really, I, I love the French language and I know sometimes we can have um, a love and hate relationship with the language for various reasons. And I, I'm very well aware that French is the language that colonized my people, but at the same time, French language uh, literature, uh, to say mm-hmm. the least, saved me during my adolescence because during the period where I had like very little friends or few friends, I should say, I uh, just uh, immersed myself in in my books and that helped me develop my imagination. But it, it was also, it became just my universe that kind of helped me hold on to life because by reading uh, the stories on people who went through Holocaust, for example, um, any form of oppression, I'm always reminding myself how grateful I am for whoever paved the way before me so I could have it a bit easier. And it is my duty to make sure that I work in that sense so I can make sure the next generation can have um, a better life as well.
0: Wow. I'm speechless, which is not the greatest thing for a podcast host. (laughs) But do do you have a motivational quote or any words that you live by? Um, yeah, when I was um, reading when you sent
1: me the questions, I, I couldn't think of anything, honestly. But I think uh, one word um, that really would says it all to me. It's authenticity. Yeah. Um, because for so long I, I hide behind all kind of masks, and I think we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it becomes like a defense mechanism. But the moment that I started accepting myself for who I truly am I always make make a point to show up the way I am and um I don't know if you've you must have gone through that phase because I, i've I've been reading your book and I'm at the end of it Tanya and thank you for such a piece of jewel it's it's delicious to read and you really open yourself up and thank you so much for this because especially as women we live in a world, even though women are doing way better than a few decades ago, not to say centuries, it, it's still a fight. It's still a struggle. We cannot take um, our acquired right uh, for granted. Okay. But as women, we still live in a world that's, you know, still male dominating. So for me, it, it, it's really important for me to, to, to show, to show up the way I am and to stop caring about everybody else's opinion, as long as I have a strong opinion about who I am, what I do. I mean, I I don't mind consulting and ask for people's opinion. But at the same time, in order to really evolve, you have to have a good, a solid sense of who you are. So authenticity, it it just means show up the way you are genuinely the way you are. And um, it's, it's working for me.
0: Yay. (laughs) And I have to tell you, you know, we would have been good friends growing up. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I feel like the timing is, it it might not have happened then, but now is our time. And as as I get older, I am finding, and this may be for the same for you as well, you are attracting into your world the most uh, amazing strong, dynamic, incredible women. Uh I get so excited when I meet women who are so inspiring. And you, my friend, Daphne,
1: you're incredible. And so are you, Tanya. And thank you uh, for this. I really, really, really appreciate it.
0: Wow. I can't thank you enough. Merci beaucoup pour votre histoire et votre pensée. Can I say that? Wait, um, you're just a beautiful human being. And I'm I'm looking forward to the future of continuing collaborating and just making the world better, all of us together.
1: Oh, Tanya, thank you so much. I very, really, really, really appreciate um, this opportunity. And it was really amazing reconnecting with you. And again, thank you so much for your book because it just validated <laughs> everything <laughs> that I've been through. And uh, and and I think we, we need to make it a point to to support each other like even more. No matter where we're from, uh, what what we're going through, we 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 have a lot in common, and we should tap on that instead of dividing each other. So let's uh, let's work towards that for sure.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm sending you a big hug, and we'll talk to you, and we'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tanya. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Daphne, for joining me on the playground today and bringing your beautiful, open, and authentic self. We tackled the big topics, systemic racism, DEI programs, fear, parenting. I shared a truly life-changing conversation that not only changed my life, but informed my present and my future. We talked about the importance of seeing color and the reality of what not seeing color means and how that mindset needs to change. We do need to see and acknowledge color and people and identity. And we need more of these kinds of conversations. While we both realize we can't revolutionize the world, we can both do what we can to dismantle the system so that it can be recreated in a way that is truly equal and equitable for everyone. She spoke about burnout and how her midlife crisis was critical in her need to slow down, take a step back, and realize she did not have to go along with what society projects for her. Apart from being very proud of her daughters and giving them the freedom and autonomy to find their own way in the world, she is proud of herself for finding her own voice and listening to her intuition. She describes herself as a human being with a soul operating in a body with African mixed with European heritage. We spoke of what it is like to be feminine within a masculine system. Daphne is discovering she is an artist, loves human history, and learning about people's stories. She spoke of Africa's rich history that predates colonization, and uses history as a storyline in her workshops to facilitate a better understanding of the history behind the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What's next for Daphne? Psychology, helping people find themselves, teaching, the French language. The bottom line is that she wants to be able to create a better life for the generation following her. One thing is for sure. If we had known each other when we were girls, Daphne and I would have been friends, and it is awesome that we get to hang out on the playground together now. Both of us have always sought salvation and comfort in books and appreciate the human condition and journeys. I am so grateful for this time we spent together, and our chat made me think of a favorite quote by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin: "We are not human beings having a spiritual experience." but spiritual beings having a human experience. My big thanks to Daphne for sharing her thoughts and feelings with me, with us, and I am looking forward to welcoming my next fabulous Mr. Guest on next week's episode. Meanwhile, I invite you to connect with me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001, and if you would like to read my book, Sex, Self-Esteem, and Sheer Stupidity, Surviving Your 20s and Beyond, To learn more about what Daphne was talking about, you can find it on Amazon. Wishing you a week of security, authenticity, and following your intuition. See you on the playground next time, when we will jump into the future together.